Welcome to the Live, Laugh, Love Real Estate Podcast. Hosted by Boston real estate agents Lisa Loveland and Costa Hanses. On this podcast, you'll hear everything from real estate tips, insights, and stories to personal development strategies, mindset hacks, and all things Boston. Now, join me in welcoming your host, Lisa Loveland. Welcome. We are back live in the studio. And today, we have Austin Reed, one of my favorite lenders. (laughs) Austin is from Revolution Mortgage. Austin, welcome. So glad to have your smiling face in our studio on this sunny day. Um, Let's get to it. Sounds good. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me in. This is awesome. Yeah, we're excited. Um, So we we haven't had a lender on, and and I think um, in this market, it's it's good to kind of get down to the brass tacks of that because when a lot of our clients look there, um, they always seem to be more interested in who's going to give me the best rate. Yes. And, um, you know, they listen to us, but it, it's always good to have that education before you go out and you start looking at those rates because there are a lot of other factors that are included in how you want to look for a loan officer. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to talk about that um, talk about your philosophy and how you got into the business. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I love how your company is set up. And I'd, I'd love for you just maybe to finish up with um, talking about the way your company is structured and why it's important to uh, somebody who's looking to, to, uh, to finance. For sure. Super. All right. So um, we'll start with the interest rate question because that's kind of where everybody always wants to start. Um, so I think that what's really important to understand about interest rates is at a very basic level, based on the way that the United States economy works, the interest rates are pretty much all set based off of the secondary market, which is things like mortgage-backed securities, the bond market, because in the United States, oddly enough, all of these things are being kind of bundled as a product and they're being sold uh, inevitably to and consumers, like whether they're individual investors, you know, you get a lot of hedge funds that invest in them, insurance companies, things like that to kind of build out their portfolio. Those are the places that are making the money off of the interest rate in the end. And they're built into these big pools of securities so that ultimately, you know, if a couple fall out, it's not the end of the world. Right. So because of that fact, what's really ironic is everybody goes out shopping aggressively for interest rates, but the interest rates are almost always going to be almost exactly the same across the board. It's very difficult to find a lender that is giving you something that is not kind of, you know, the standard for the market because the market is what's setting those. And if people are giving you an interest rate that's significantly higher than the market, it's not really going to have a place in a security and same thing with interest rates that are significantly lower than the market. Now, obviously, this all comes back to economics. Lenders are making money off of the loans that they create and that they originate and that they sell or bundle or service. And there's a whole other world about that that we'll say for another time. But mm-hmm. um, the long and short of it is similar to any sort of business out there. There is a rate that is is basically being dictated by the market on any given day. And you're probably going to have people that are charging a higher interest rate for whatever reason. You're also probably going to have people that are trying to give a slightly lower interest rate. And generally what we see in that is when you are looking at interest rates and you get very, very aggressive in terms of your rate shopping, because there is essentially a rate that is set by the market and then there is a discounted rate, the people that are providing a discounted rate are almost always providing discounted service. And so I think what happens is a lot of people think, well, the lowest interest rate out there should be the baseline and everybody that's charging a higher interest rate 
those people are overcharging for the market. Whereas really the middle of the pack is kind of the, the regular interest rate that you should be getting. And if you're going with somebody that is higher, it's generally because maybe there's more risk associated with your loan. Um, you know, your credit score is really bad or something else that causes them to offset that risk with a higher interest rate or the people that are charging a lower interest rate are basically, you know, have a very bare bone structure. They don't have the technology that the people that are kind of middle market are, and they don't have the level of service that the people that are kind of charging like the going rate Mm -hmm. is. I think you could probably liken that to, in some sense, maybe to real estate commissions as well, in that generally speaking, they're pretty much set across the market. You get some people that charge higher and you get some people that charge lower. And there are some companies out there that are notorious for charging lower and, you know, there's a, a level of service that kind of comes along with that. Right. And a level of surprises that usually comes around, along <laughs> yeah. with that. Yes, very, very true. Not the nice kind. No, not the good kind. Not the good, not the good presence at closing. Right. Yeah. Great. Um, so there's a lot of misconception as um, to, oh, they're charging the higher rate because they're making a profit off of that. Correct. Um, talk to our viewers a little bit about um, th- how that isn't the case and that the, the, the lender, him or herself, is not profiting on that interest rate. Right. So back before the housing market completely collapsed, this was one of the things that was a, a was a big problem. Is if a a loan officer or a lender was able to sell a higher interest rate, they could in essence make more money off of that higher rate that they were selling. Now, obviously, that was probably one of the largest red flags when everything collapsed because it's a massive conflict of interest. Right. You have mm-hmm. a client and you are essentially directly trying to, you know, charge them more, a a higher interest rate over a long period of time. So when lenders get paid out and when loan officers get paid out, their commission structure and their fee is essentially set. They have to set that fee and they, they don't have carte blanche to just kind of go all over the place and, you know, charge you a higher rate. It's not like the sort of thing where, you know, a loan officer can offer an interest rate and you can say, well, I don't really like that one. And they can say, well, give me one second. Let me call my manager and then put the phone on hold and be like, okay, we'll just give you the lower rate. So everything there is set. It's extremely highly regulated. Um, we have a lot of governing bodies that, that are, you know, kind of watching lending and, and lending's every move these days. So there is a lot of that that is, is going on and is being watched over to make sure that the consumer is getting the best possible, you know, deal and the best possible transaction for them and that they're being protected and there's no predatory lending practices or anything like that going on. Great. Yeah. Um, what about um, paying down with points? Some A lot of people will ask that, you know, can I get a lower rate if I pay down the points and, and why does it matter? If, if they're all getting paid the same, how come I have to pay more and I can get a lower rate? Yeah, for sure. Um, this is definitely something I talk about probably on every single call with clients because a lot of people will come in and they'll send screenshots. And by the way, Austin's calls with clients are so detailed. It's fantastic. <laughs> Makes our job very easy. <laughs> well, thanks, Lisa. We try and we try and give them the full transparency. That's, that's really our, our team's whole philosophy is... We provide transparency in everything and the education because, I mean, on the one hand, these are massive financial decisions, especially here in the city. Like the average loan sizes are very, very, very high because places are so expensive. But at the same time, you know, it is ultimately one of those things where that's how we kind of differentiate ourselves and set ourselves apart from everybody else and have clients continue to come back, which is whenever anybody has a question, we give them the full transparent answer because sooner or later, if they look hard enough, they're going to be able to figure it out. And I'd say it's just easier for them to hear it directly from us right up front. Yeah. Um, 
But with regard to the points thing, you know, that's something that a lot of people are always asking about. And the way it usually comes up is people say, you know, oh, well, you're saying you're at, you know, 3% today, for instance. Well, I've got a lender that's at 25 and again, going back to what I was alluding to earlier, that that delta between those interest rates is too high for there not to be something weird going on mm-hmm. because there has to be because if the market is basically providing a rate of 3% for everybody and someone's given away two and a half, they have to be charging points or origination points or discount points, however you kind of want to refer to that, in terms of buying that interest rate down. Points at a very basic level are really just kind of simple arithmetic. It's basically an upfront cost that you spend in order to buy your interest rate down in the long term. So if you spend, call it, you know, $1,000 on points and that $1,000 saves you $10 per month because your rate is lower, then you just do the division. That's 100 months. So, you know, call it about eight years, eight and a third years or so before paying those points actually pays off for you. Mm -hmm. And so... A lot of times what happens is people come in and they're asking for the lowest interest rate. And I kind of force them to take a step back and say, look, I know you, you're you saying that you want the lowest interest rate, but what you really mean is you want to save the most money over the life right. of your loan. And those two things, if everything else was exactly the same, the lowest interest rate over 30 years, yeah, that's going to save you the most money. But when you look at the example that I just gave, you know, some people are like, well, I really want the lowest rate. And I would say, well, you know, you're buying your first home. It's a studio apartment in Boston. It's quite expensive, but you're in your 20s. Do you really think in another eight years, you're going to still be not only living here, but still have the same mortgage? People, and, people always forget about that. Yeah. You're not in so many times you're not in your home long enough to make those numbers actually be beneficial. Yeah. And you and I were talking about it before the show. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been in three different condos all within the South End because I'm obsessed with the South End. But <laughs> it's um, a good place to be obsessed with. Yeah, it's not bad, yeah. right? Um, but I've been in three different condos in the South End and that's been over, I think it's only been about seven or eight years now since I, well, we'll call it eight or nine because I don't remember if. I count 2020 as a year in my brain anymore. (laughs) Um, But, you know, each place that I've been in, I've really only been in for somewhere between two and three years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been very fortunate to be able to keep those loans. Um, But I've, I've refinanced them multiple times, you know, to take advantage of lower interest rates, restructure my portfolio. And so honestly, when I, what I usually do when I get a mortgage, whether it's a refi or sometimes even on a purchase is, and this might be getting a little bit too far into mortgage stuff. You can no, stop no, no. me if I'm geeking that's out. Why, but That's why we have you here. We love the geek aspect. <laughs> yeah. But so in the same way that if you are spending money to buy your interest rate down, you can do the opposite as well, which is you can take a slightly higher interest rate and you can receive a credit from your lender back at your closing. Um, because again, going back to the regulatory aspect of things, once a lender makes what they're set to make on a loan, they can't make more and more and more money. So if the rate is 3% today, maybe it costs you $2,000 to get down to you know 2.875, but maybe the lender gives you a credit of $2,000 if you take 3.125 instead, which is really kind of where things like the no closing cost refi come from um, in terms of, you know, again, you're taking a rate that's higher than what the market gives you, but the market rate or the, the quote unquote market rate that most people think of is the one where you're paying closing costs. And so I just had a call with a client before here where I said, look, you can spend 2,500 or $3,000 on costs to refinance and you can drop your rate by a full point, or 
you can spend zero money to refinance because we'll give you, instead of going down a point, you'll go down three quarters of a point. Mm -hmm. You'll still save $300 a month instead of $330 a month. And you will literally, literally be doing this for free because the right. lender makes extra yield on your loan and they have to pass that through to you as a closing cost credit so everything gets paid for, which is one of those things that quite frankly, like every time I say it, I know everybody gets this. Well, that's too good to be true, like $300 a month for free for 30 years. And you have to remember that, again, that that all comes to fruition due to external factors like the environment, the, right. the economy. Um, and stuff like that. It's not like you missed out on something when you got your first loan. It's just that the world is different now, which That's is right. And lending had to change. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so talk to people a little, little about what they can expect um, in regard to closing costs, mm -hmm. what's included in them and how they can determine them. Yeah. And uh, as a ballpark, obviously, you have to talk to your lender to understand the different fees that each company has. But if you could give them just an overall kind of bird's eye view of what they should expect. For sure. Um, so it's, it's hard. I'll say the one thing that, um, a lot of, uh, well, not a lot of the entire internet will tell you is they'll give you a percentage of your purchase price or your loan size that your closing costs will be. It's really hard to use that figure because most closing fees are actually a set number. And so when websites come up with that fee or that percentage, I should say, they're basing it off of like the national average for a loan size or a home price, which if any of our viewers here are local to Boston, know that we are not in the average for, you know, the national like home prices, uh, Boston, New York, Miami, San Francisco, like a lot of these markets are, are significantly higher. So what that means is a lot of people come to me saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm buying a $750,000 condo and I'm budgeting like 5% for my closing costs. But 5% only works if you're talking about like a $200,000 loan or a $250,000 loan. The percentages are actually going to be much lower when you're looking at a like a higher loan amount or a higher purchase price. So from a closing cost standpoint, obviously talk to your lender, um, but generally you're gonna see some sort of a flat fee from your lender. Um, you know, they have to pay processing, they have to pay underwriting. We have a lot of technology that we have that we have to pay for. Um, and we have a lot of staff. We try and shield everybody from how hard it is to get a loan closed um, <laughs> and, you know, make it seem as easy as possible. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we have to be able to obviously pay for. Um, that's usually these days somewhere between like thirteen and fifteen hundred dollars. I've seen fees that are a lot higher. Um, I've also seen fees that are a lot lower, but then those fees are generally made up for in points or, you know, you're dealing with an online lender who says it'll take 120 days to close your loan, which is a different problem altogether. Yeah. Um, but you'll generally see a flat fee there. You'll have a we couple- We don't recommend online lenders. <laughs> right. Did I, can I say that three times? You sure can. Yeah. And, I, and also online lenders do not mean lenders that have a website. It means yeah. people that are just online. And it's, it's, I mean, we've all seen it. It's a yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll get to the point someday where it's very, very easy to snap your fingers and process a mortgage. But- mm -hmm. We're not there yet, but we'll talk about that, I think, a little bit later here. Um, but you'll have a flat fee from your lender. You'll probably have a couple of flat fees from your attorney. Um, things like, you know, they're going to help you help represent you for the purchase and sale. Condo document review is something we see a lot here in the city. Um, and then they're going to help orchestrate things like title insurance. Title insurance being the main fee that's dependent on your the price of your home and your loan size because they're insuring you for a specific amount. Um the main thing that I like to talk, oh, and actually, sorry, the other thing that you're going to see is you're always going to see, almost always going to see an appraisal fee, yeah. which gets paid directly to the appraiser. So a lot of times people come to lenders and be like, oh my gosh, your closing costs are outrageous. 
And you have to realize that there's really one to two fees that your lender charges. The rest are all estimates or are coming from your attorney, your appraiser, a number of other third party people. Mm -hmm. So we try and, you know, help people understand that as well. But the other thing to remember is you're also going to have what's called your prepaid expenses at closing, which means things like tax escrow deposits, um, insurance escrow deposits, um, all these things that would that you will eventually have to pay, but your lender helps orchestrate the payment for. Mm-hmm. So you've got things like your tax bills, which in Boston are due once a quarter, but when you have a mortgage, every month you'll make one payment for your mortgage payment and your tax payment. And then every quarter, your mortgage servicing company, whoever's taking care of your loan and taking your payments, will pay those bills for you. Um, so one of the main emails I get from people or phone calls is panic because they get a tax bill in the mail. Um, that was included in my, in my monthly payment. Exactly. <laughs> and it always it almost always is unless you elect to have it not be. But the city basically shoots out those bills automatically. And yeah. the mortgage companies basically... Those bills go to the homeowners and the and the place where they live. The mortgage servicing companies also look at their list and proactively reach out to the city for another bill. So unfortunately, those things are like two ships passing in the night, and it just confuses everybody. But yeah, um, but that's also things that you'll have to put away when you close. So a lot of people, you know, you end up in that maybe six to eight thousand dollars worth of closing costs, and then you've got a couple thousand dollars more of tax escrows that you put away into an escrow account and things like that. Excellent. Very detailed. Appreciate it. No problem. Um, now let's talk about your company. Um, yeah. I, you switched companies. This I is did. a new company. It sounds really exciting the way that they're structured. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about um, Revolution Mortgage. Yeah. So um, Revolution Mortgage is a much smaller company than uh, the companies that I've been at before. Um, I think there's definitely pros and cons to to each. But one of the things that I have really loved about this transition Um, has been that, you know, the role that I took here is it it gives me and my processing manager much more control over the way in which we kind of structure everything and the way in which we kind of um, manage our pipeline of loans. It allows us to, you know, prioritize loans that have a much, you know, a very fast closing timeline. Um, It allows us to kind of work with what we call our appraisal management company. Um, there are a lot of rules and regulations around appraisers. Like I can't have five appraisers on speed dial and tell them where when I need loans. We have to send it to a you know a panel or to a company to go through a round robin, and we can't even know who the appraisers are until the report is done. But it also helps us work with the company and say, hey, look, you know, we have a, a deal that has to close really fast. Another lender dropped the ball, for instance, and we have to close this in a couple weeks. Can you guys find us an appraiser? that is willing to or has the availability to get this back to us very quickly and what are they going to charge for a fee so we can discuss with the client if they're okay with paying a higher fee to get their loan closed on time um and it's just given us a lot of ability to kind of make sure that we can get our loans from start to finish um in a timely fashion make it as easy for the client uh, and kind of everything else. And none of it, it has really been a ton of rocket science. It's really, I think, has been when you're at kind of a more boutique style company and you have direct inroads to the people that are in charge, the powers that be and that make all the decisions, they're very willing to listen and work with um, branches that are, you know, especially the ones that are doing more volume and are, are kind of out there as boots on the ground and seeing what's going on in the market we can quickly change and tweak processes in terms of like, you know, we literally just changed yesterday how our company reviewed 
um, the the condos that we look at because I mean you know that whenever we lend on a condo we also review the condo association and, and things like that um, and the process was just a little bit clunkier than it needed to be mm-hmm. and because the company is so small I was able to get on a you know a zoom meeting with our CEO our COO and the head of our condo approval review department and say look I know you guys don't really have a presence in Boston where your first presence here and we do a lot of condos. So let's change this, this, and this. And they loved it. And it was so, it was so great to be able to have some say into that, which has been really, really exciting for us. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So we're, everyone's going to want to know this. I didn't want this to be about interest rates, but I've got to include it. (laughs) Of course. Um, I think the process is more important, but here we are. Yep. So come on now. Tell us what you think is going to happen. What's going to happen with interest rates? I'll just get my crystal ball out here (laughs) and, you know, let you know all the interest rates and what all the scores will be in the sports world and everything, too. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, So, unfortunately, I I don't have the best news for everybody in terms of where I think the future of rates is going to be, which is I do think we are finally at this point where rates are going to start to head up and they're probably going to stay up. Now, I say that and hopefully people are still listening and didn't switch this off because they were so frustrated because (laughs) when I say go up, I really mean like hang out in maybe the mid 3% range. We we all need to remember it's relative. It's it's so relative. Not too long ago, four and a half was a great interest rate. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I got I had somebody the other day who was super annoyed that their investment property rate was 3.75 and I could not. It was very difficult to contain my frustration there because you know we have been very lucky in that you know one of the one of the very few maybe one of the only good things that came out of everything that happened last year with you know the economy being the way that it was you know and everything else going on was that interest rates were insanely low I mean we did a lot of loans last year in the mid to high two percent range on a 30-year fixed no points nothing weird it's it was crazy um And now we're kind of heading back towards a little bit more of a sense of normalcy, but we're still on the lower end of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. most loans right now, 30 year fixed, good credit, everything else going on. You know, you're probably looking in that low 3% range ish around three, maybe a little under, but more likely probably a little over. There are so many things that go into determining determining an interest rate. Um, And one of the things that I call out, for instance, I think it's important for viewers of probably your your podcast here especially to know is that when uh, when you're getting a loan that, that inevitably is ending up with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which is like 98 point something percent of mortgages in the country, I believe still, um, when, when you're sending a loan to Fannie or Freddie, they actually have a small increase in their interest rate if you're buying a condominium or financing a condominium and you're doing less than 25% down. Mm-hmm. So it's a big common, you know, common thing that I see where people say, well, my credit, horse, my credit score is pristine. Um, you know, everything else looks really great. Like, why is my rate not as, again, advertised online? And when you get to the fine print of that, it's, you know, they assume a single family home, really high down payment, specific area, specific loan amount. Um, so there are some things in there that, that really are potentially not, entirely quote unquote outside of your control unless you have an extra five percent lying around but um you know in general i think we're probably going to be in that that low to mid maybe three percent range for the foreseeable future Mm -hmm. um and i think that we'll probably hang out there for a little while but i really can't see even with the fed back on september 22nd i think it was they kind of said look 
kids have been back in school. We haven't seen any major spikes or resurgences of the Delta variant. We're kind of going to start to let the economy work to heal itself. We're not Mm -hmm. going to continue to pump all this money into everywhere and all this stimulus. They're already raising the debt ceiling to try and, you know, help themselves figure that out. But that was kind of their way of saying, we're going to start heading back to normal. And so we've had some people that are a little bit panicky, but you know, when, when you see things on your smartphone that say rates are the lowest they've been or the highest they've been, it's probably like an eighth of a percent difference, which is the smallest difference in interest rates out there. Right. And what about loan volumes? How have you seen loan volumes in 2021 compared to 2020? In terms of like individual loans or like just the volume of, of loans in the industry? Loans, but both, but volume of loans in the industry. Um, it's still very high. 2020 was an insane year. Um, I don't know if anybody, uh, any other lenders are listening out there, but they're all probably nodding slash shaking their heads or I don't know, maybe even shedding a tear because we all had a very, very busy year last year, um, which was, you know, had its pros and its cons. But I think that right now we're still we're still seeing this kind of resurgence of buyers that are coming back that are looking to finance their purchases because a lot of people took some time off last year, um, dealt with personal stuff, everything else that was going on. Some people were, you know, furloughed from their jobs. And I think a lot of people have now become reinvigorated and are trying to continue to buy something before rates go up um, and also before home prices continue to climb. Right. Um, I'm sure you're seeing, you know, prices yeah. are continuing to go up. Uh, the loan limits are going to go up again uh, at the end of this year. Um, right now, a regular Fannie or Freddie conforming loan limit is about five hundred forty-eight thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. Because about yeah, because they love round <laughs> numbers, <laughs> right? And fifty cents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Five forty-eight two fifty. Um, and next year it's going up to like six twenty-five. So okay. it's going to make it a lot easier for people in higher cost areas to, you know, get interest rates that are on the lower end. Generally, you see Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have kind of the lowest interest rates. Fannie and Freddie in areas like Boston, which they call high cost areas um, or high balance loan areas, they they provision for a slightly higher loan limit there, mm-hmm. um, which right now is seven twenty-four five hundred. That's also going to increase. Um, and then there's the jumbo loans that are above and beyond that. And, you know, it, I think that the, the volume of loans in the industry is still high. The, the dollar amount per loan, the average dollar amount per loan is also going up, um, which is kind of, um, contiguous with the, um, the, the home prices continuing to rise as well. Um, and I think we're probably going to see that for the foreseeable future. I think that rates would have to make a pretty significant jump in order to change that because it's still fairly inexpensive in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. to to finance a home um but i mean that also i guess it also kind of depends on the rental market and things but you probably know much more about right, right. those dynamics than i do right right well th- i mean the rental market's not inexpensive either no you know, everything's mm. in it, and that money's just going right out the window so i true you know i don't i don't think um that's going to have too much of an impact on sales um, I think the, you know, the lack of inventory is our biggest problem. Yeah. You know, there's, there's plenty of people out there wanting to buy and we are, you know, it's a pretty competitive situation to get them into a home yeah. and, it, and it's the, the coaching and the education of what they need to do in order to have a winning offer. But that's, that's a whole, that doesn't worry. We don't need to worry about that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. None of this waving contingencies and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's always crazy. a fun think, conversation. Yes. Yep. So do you see, um, are you seeing any particular price points that you're, loaning more towards? Yeah. So, um, I, I would say we kind of tend to, 
honestly, we kind of run the gambit from the the you know two or three hundred thousand dollar price point all the way up to about. I would say just under two million. Um, shockingly enough, I think once you hit that one point seven five to two million dollar number, you end up getting a lot more people who either have cash or are financing it through alternative methods. Maybe right. they're getting loans against their assets um, from their bankers or their wealth management companies rather than trying to get a traditional mortgage. Yeah. Um, and there's pros and cons there as well, but um, we do probably everything here. Generally, tends to be in that. Um, usually around like four or five hundred thousand dollar to about the one point three to one point six range, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where a lot of our stuff tends to land, which has its own, you know, degree of complications because you get a couple different loan brackets in there with different sets of guidelines and yeah. um, you know, especially with condos, it adds that one extra layer of fun. So yeah. um <laughs> right. keeps us on our toes, which is great. Yeah. I have a question. How do you see the impact, especially now of cryptocurrency in terms of loans sure factor yeah so crypto is an interesting concept um in the lending world in that lenders were very very wary of it at first um and i think that as crypto has become more and more mainstream um i think i was reading something about there was some some country it might have been uh it was either somewhere in south america or somewhere in africa where they said more people had crypto wallets than regular wallets or like regular Venezuela. Some some country adopted it as like a form of currency for the country. Yeah. So as these things are happening around the world, lenders are kind of getting privy to the fact that they have to get on board with it. And so at a very high level, what we're seeing now is once if you have money in crypto, that's generally okay, depending on exactly how we're structuring your loan and where it's going that's generally an okay asset to use, but a lot of lenders are wary of using that as like your your reserve account. Like if you're getting a really big loan, they wanna make sure you're not totally tapping yourself out. So if you sell some crypto or liquidate some crypto, however you wanna put it, so that it becomes you know funds that are sitting in a checking or savings account, which is what we really consider as fully liquid, it's totally fine. It's the, it's the wild fluctuations in those accounts that lenders are worried about. So once you kind of move them out of that into something that is more stable, they become really fully recognized funds. But we have seen people that have been using those um, for down payments in quite a few different places these days, which is kind of fascinating to watch. It is fascinating, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Super interested in that scene and the impact yeah. of, I don't know, like the, the, uh, I think the Fed came out and said something about and Bitcoin, I think it went down a little bit. It's been fluctuating, as you say, like crazy, but yeah. about regulating a little bit more, which is good and bad. I mean, at the end of the day, we do, it would be beneficial to regulate it so we can use it in a more massive way across mm-hmm. the country and different things like that. But that might not be good for investors because they feel as though the price will go down for it if it's going to start getting regulated. Yeah, you see that you see that kind of the the main argument there being whether it's, you know, is it really investing or is it speculating because it's so, you know, deregulated right, right now and is it it's one of those things where, you know, if you've got 100 people that are spouting off about it or like uh, or I get not even 100 if you've got Elon Musk tweeting about, you know, whatever oh, yeah. he's into that day, he yeah. can drive the price way up and right. I think that that's the sort of thing where where a lot of, you know, anything that is regulated and and mortgage lending is very highly regulated these days. Um, it's hard for for mortgage lenders to get on board with stuff that is significantly less regulated because it's it kind of goes against everything that has been built into lending since 2008, 2009. Gotcha. But it's coming. It's coming more and more every day for sure. Yeah, yeah. Totally. 
where can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out, they have questions or they need somebody to help a loan officer? What's the best place to contact you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, they can, everyone can go to my website, revolutionmortgage.com slash Boston. Um, my email is just austin at revolutionmortgage.com. Um, I'm sure we can link some of this stuff here um, totally. as well. Um, and then, I mean, if you, people even just want to call the office line, it's just 857-557-4700. Just throw that right out there on the internet. So, um, <laughs> I love it. You know, we're we're not we're we're n- we're never afraid to get calls and questions <laughs> from people. Um, you know, that's that's kind of our all day every day. Lisa will tell you we're pretty attached to our phones and our emails. Yep. Um, yes, you are. So, you know, in this market, when people need stuff quickly, we can certainly help them out to get it done. So, everybody can always feel free to reach out. And you know, I'm happy to answer any questions that people have that are you know more direct to their own situation. Um, a lot of people hear podcasts and stuff and then get on the internet and it tends to send people in a tailspin so yeah, yeah. Um, better to go to the source yeah yeah but google's sure. an amazing thing but my god you can make it you get a little ache and you google what it is and you think you're dying oh yeah so yeah. it's always best to go to someone who you can speak to real person and and get some real answers yeah i don't even google any real estate stuff anymore i just email or text my attorneys or my i pr- yeah. probably texted you in the past couple of weeks been like so what do you think about <laughs> this because i got a client that's saying one thing and someone else is saying another but you're you're going to be my industry expert yeah. so yep. that's that's what we all do that's great. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. I knew it would be. Yeah. Um, great to see you, and thanks for coming on. You too. And, thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. And to our viewers, as we always say, we appreciate you, and thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.